Welcome to the fantastic world of Hannah and Barbera, where we celebrate Bill Hannah, Joe Barbera, and the thousands with them, whose entertainment keeps entertaining generations. I'm Greg Erbar, and I thank you so much for joining me. With us today is a very, very special guest, Chris Anthony, or Chris Anthony Lansdowne. Uh, lady of many names and many, many voices. She is the voice of the long-running radio program Adventures in Odyssey, and, and maybe she'll do her signature uh, saying for us. Those who know the show will know right away. She did voices for lots of different studios, and she is one of the official voices Probably one of the most ubiquitous, ubiquitous voices. Easy of for you the to one say. And only, <laughs> the one and only Barbie. I want to welcome to the fantastic world, Chris Anthony. Hi. <laughs> Can you say the way you opened the, the show? Oh, my goodness. Yes. Okay. I have opened a lovely, wonderful show of Adventures and Odyssey for 35 years the exact same way. Hi, this is Chris. Welcome to Adventures in Odyssey. <laughs> Did you hear the music? You heard it, didn't you? That, that of little, course. You know, beautiful music. Of course. And then there's always waiting to the end. And this is one of the reasons I really was thrilled to get you on this podcast. Because at the end, you tell us who was in the show. Now, there were some stellar regulars. Yes. And then there were extra players and extra roles and then I'd hear that and go, oh, wow, that was that was Lee Merriweather. <laughs> That's how I felt, too. Yeah. Names would come up and I'd say, oh, really? Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you record uh, in the studio with the other actors, correct? Correct. Yes. Okay. Because yes. I, I did go to one of the sessions. The dear friend of all of ours, Will Ryan, invited me. Yes, Will. I miss and him. we still miss him. Oh, boy. You know, folks, Adventures in Odyssey, if you haven't heard it, it's a drama, but it has a lot of comedy. The best way I can describe it is it's kind of like Mayberry as a radio show, but with satire and some of the greatest animation voices that ever lived, uh, past and present. And it, it is an inspirational show, but it keeps the sledgehammer at bay most of the time. So you can listen to it and say, well, I have my beliefs and that's just fine, but I'm really enjoying the spoof of Star Trek they're doing, you know, expendable crew member. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Now they go back in time a lot yeah. uh, and not just the biblical times, but also the story of the Titanic was done a couple of years ago and events in other countries. There was a multi-part about an escape room. There are thrillers. There are noirs. Every genre. Yeah. Cover it all. Yeah. You cover it all. You know, regardless of how your faith is, I mean, they, they will give you an uplifting way of seeing things and it touches your heart. And sometimes the comedy is just as brilliant. Every once in a while, I have the privilege, and I mean privilege, of playing a part on the show. And it's so important for me that I don't sound like Chris. I don't go, hi, this is Chris. I don't want to be her. So they'll give me parts that are very different. And I've played like uh, Mrs. Randolph. She's what? Oh, yes, Mrs. Randolph. Her and Woot and the mailman have a little friendship. <laughs> and there was one time where Wooten and her were having a you know a little interaction together, and I thought, oh, she's so funny and goofy. But then later on, they brought her back 
and they made her a little more serious and they told the story of Mrs. Randolph and, and how she met her husband. And You did the older lady voice and it immediately reminded me of Granny Sweet, who, who had Precious Pup. And that was Janet Waldo. Oh, that's right. Uh, I love Janet Waldo. There is a Waldo-esque quality. You know, I could hear you doing Judy and Josie and then going right to Granny. Thank you. That's quite the honor for you to say that. So it's a lot of fun to do stuff that is your character and is out of your character. And what I want to talk about, you know, you did do some Hanna-Barbera program here on Johnny Bravo. And I do remember, you made me think of something. When I first came to L.A., they hired me to do like a documentary. I was narrating this Hanna-Barbera story. Really? This was like a bazillion years ago. And I remember going, telling about Hidden in the Hills, Hanna-Barbera, and Joe Barbera, and blah, 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 blah. I don't know where it is, but... You know, if someone out there knows of that or finds it on YouTube or one of the things... I remember driving down, they were on Koenig, and I remember driving by and glancing over my shoulder and going, there, that's Hanna-Barbera. <laughs> I've said this before, it's like Sleeping Beauty Castle, isn't it? Seeing it for the first time or Cinderella Castle, because of cool stuff that was done in there. Exactly. And the talent that was in there and the recording studio was in there. Yes, um, yes. The records were made there, too, which I dearly love. Now, one thing that makes Odyssey similar, too, is that even when they were doing feature films, which are usually recorded actor by actor separately... There's very few exceptions to that. Uh, Billy Crystal and John Goodman did the Monsters, Inc. sessions together so they could bounce off each other. But that's rarely done. Hanna-Barbera being a TV studio and its roots being in the radio era, they always did group. And Jody Benson, who was Little Mermaid, said she loved doing Pirates of Dark Water because she was stage and she loved the electricity of the other actors. That's the best because you're seeing real interactions and it's like you're having fun and you're laughing. <laughs> but I do want to talk about the incredible people just in the main cast. Now, yeah. we mentioned Will Ryan, who uh, was a comedian, was a musician, was a composer. He wrote uh, he wrote songs for the show. They did an album. He was multi-talented. There's nobody like Will. Will just was... I mean, you have some of the core people on that show that are just, they're just creative and brilliant. And Katie Lee and Jess Harnell. Now, Katie Lee, let's talk about her because you guys are just like Lucy and Ethel. (laughs) We really are. On her Tell you later. When you did the witchies at Halloween, and <laughs> and then you, and we'll also talk about Townsend Coleman. Townsend Coleman. You all started playing Barbies, oh. and it was hysterical. We you actually know, did I mean, a show on playing with Barbies. I- playing with Barbies. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and Kimmy Robertson, too. Yeah, she was on that. Kimmy Robertson, yeah, yeah, who was on Twin Peaks. Oh, my gosh. You know, these people are not uh, slouches. These are like the big time. And Kimmy was on uh, Smurfs, and she was on Gummy Bears, and the list goes on and on. And then Townsend, he was the voice of NBC, and he was... Multi-talented. And he was the tick. Yes, the, the original Ninja Turtle. And not only that, all those people you mentioned are not only just talented, but they have great hearts for people. You will see the best part of them is not behind the mic. It's in front of a person. 
they are just so genuine and authentic. And when they talk to people, they care about them. They're kind-hearted. And let me tell you, at the end of the day, that's when you put your head on your pillow and you say, what have I done today? I did 5,000 voices. Now you're kind and you care about people. And that is what these people are. And that's why they're just, sorry, I had to just love them. I love them all. It's like, it's like that the SNL sketch. I love them. I love them. I can't help it. I love them. I love them. <laughs> you know, there's also have been some people who we've lost who were on the program and also have heavy connections to Hanna-Barbera. Um, the lead character was played by Hal Smith originally. Oh, Hal Smith. And Hal Smith, goodness, he was in so many cartoons. My favorite that he did was... Ten Little Flintstones. He when the the aliens came and they duplicated Fred's, he was the one going yaba daba do. But he was a lot of Joe Rockheads. He was a lot of utility voices, but everything. And he also was the star of Santa and the Three Bears. He played Mister Ranger, which is a lovely little fil- animated film. I'd love to see that. I've heard about that, but I've never watched it. Oh, it's easy to find. It's it's public okay. domain now. What's it called? Santa and the Three Bears. Santa and the Three Bears. Okay. It's on like uh, 2B and all those things. It's a very simple little sweet cartoon. Gene Vanderpile is in it. And, you know, nice little songs. Tony Benedict, who worked on the Jetsons and the Flintstones, wrote and directed it. And he used a lot of the HB artists and people. And it's a lovely film. And Hal Smith gets to be the lead, which is real nice. Hal Smith is like, you know, growing up... Hal was obviously on Andy Griffith. He was Otis on the show. He was Otis. And when he would come into the studio, Hal would bring all these stories and background stories about that show, which was one of my favorites growing up. And he would talk about all the actors and all the behind the scenes. And he was like reading a really great book. And when he did Mr. Whitaker, he was our very first Mr. Whitaker, the fatherly figure for everybody on the show. When he spoke, there was something that was like, here's my um, way of describing him. He was like a, have you ever seen one of those really wrought iron pans, like a, a wrought iron? And when you cook with these kind of pans, they're well seasoned. Because he's full of seasonings in this pan. And and they always say, don't wash out these wrought iron skillets because they're full of seasons from all the things they've cooked. Well, that's how. When you would cook with him, he would, all these flavors and seasonings would come out of him and stories. And mm-hmm. he was just so remarkable that people just stopped and listened because he had such a storyteller voice. And there was one time that I was in the studio and we were all sitting in like the little green room waiting to go in and read our part. And and Hal's sitting back there and they're all sitting around the table and chatting and laughing. And I had brought my daughter with me at the time. I don't normally do that, but I had to bring her. And she must have been, I don't know, maybe a year old. And so there's Hal sitting there laughing and telling stories. And I had to go in and read my part. And I got Kelsey, my little daughter. And I thought, oh, okay, it's time to go in. Would somebody, you know, take care of Kelsey while I read my part? And Hal raises his head and goes, I want to hold Kelsey. I want to hold her. Oh. Now, he put Kelsey on his lap. And if you ever watch the old Andy Griffith show, you'll see him making those funny faces as Otis when he was the town drunk and his cheeks are puffed out and his eyes are going kind of cockeyed. And he's making these 
faces at Kelsey when he, she's on his lap. And Kelsey's laughing. And I'm thinking, oh. I want to go in the studio. I want to stay there. <laughs> I just looked over my shoulder and thought, there I was as a kid on the couch watching that show, watching him be Otis and laughing. And there was my daughter sitting on his lap and he was doing that. It was the sweetest moment. Wow. Yeah. He connected right away. He wanted to watch my little daughter. Great memory for me. Yeah, that's something. That's a that's a keeper, you know. Yes. Yeah. Well, he also had a quality of, because he had a lot of heavy lifting to do on the show, both uh, as the voice of reason, usually, and also uh, he had to deliver some of the messaging. Yeah. But he never came across, and neither did his replacements, because there's been several actors. Right. It's a very hard role to, not just to sound like, but to convey. Right. Because he cannot be um, patronizing, pedantic. See, you now, Greg, you said that so well, because that is so true. He didn't come off preachy or talking down. He was that father figure, that wise man, and Hal Smith was incredible. And then there was Paul Herlinger who sounded a little different and had a little bit of a different take on it, but very, very well done. And then Andre Stoika, who's doing it now, is incredible. Yes. So we've never come up with a bad Mr. Whitaker yet. Mm -hmm. And when you lost Hal, it's astonishing how a long-running series deals with that. You know, sometimes they don't mention it. Sometimes they write it in. I was, I've been watching Dennis the Menace. You know, they just changed Mr. Wilson's, but it was his brother. Yes. You know, you got your Darren's. Oh, that's right. <laughs> you know, every show does it different. In this case, they weren't sure for a while whether Whitaker would come back because Hal was such a giant. So for a while, they split his character almost like Star Trek into two different people uh-huh. and jason who was townsend was the adventurous impulsive of whitaker it was his son. yeah the secret agent man yeah. and then you had the more fatherly alan young who was his best friend jack allen oh alan young now there's a person i'd love to talk to you about oh. there's an extraordinary talent he was just magical he just his personality again the kindness and the the genuine kind of person that he was when he talked to you, you wanted to say, I've watched you in all these movies. I've, but not him. He reversed it around. He talked about you. He didn't like to brag. He didn't like to. He was not that type. You know, this man won Emmys and launched careers and was the longest running Uncle Scrooge voice. Yeah. And he says, oh, yeah, that was okay. And all that stuff. He, he was so incredibly humble. Humble. And he was brilliant. And he just, I don't know. It's like, again, when, when he did his scenes, he always got a little quiet. Like, you know, we're goofing around, laughing. And then when, when he spoke, everybody listened. Wow. <laughs> they had those magical kind of voices, you know. Oh, another one. Dave Madden. Yes. Dave Madden. He was brilliant. Oh, he sure was. Bernard with a squeegee for yeah, clean the windows with the squeegee. <laughs> I got to play Dave's wife. Oh, was that? Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. I was, um, was it Midge? Midge. Okay. Because I was Madge. And then it was Midge. <laughs> Madge and Midge. Okay. I think that was her name. So here's Dave and that voice, that sense of humor. Oh, man. If you got 10 seconds to talk to him, you'd be, you know, laughing and your face would hurt. And he brought a... 
not a cynicism, but a an earthiness. He was the grumpy guy. It cut some of the the nice. You know, he was nice, but he was grumpy. And so he was a great balance for the other characters because he was always there with a line. He was like Eve Arden. <laughs> he was Reuben Kincaid on the Partridge family. Oh, and you know what? I met him once. He did a commercial voiceover for uh, Walt Disney World Annual Passes, and I actually met him and Sandy, and he autographed my Odyssey book and my Charlotte's Web cover because one of my favorite voices he did was the old sheep in Charlotte's Web. It was a yes! beautiful performance, and he was very proud of both. He just had such a great quality of... Sarcastic-y a little bit. Oh, you know what he did? He gave me a copy of the On the Road album that he and Will had done. It was all the... Ep- uh-huh. Yeah, he says, I'm so proud of this. This is like... Because it was like the odd couple. You had the two of them in yeah. a car. Oh, good. That's a good way. The two of them were the odd couple. And Will and Eugene, they just... Their interaction was priceless. And I thought, what a nice thing. Because to him, that was like some of the best stuff he'd done. And he was also extremely proud of it. Really? That was one of the best, too. He was a very, very dedicated person. Uh, He wrote his biography, I think it was called Reuben on Rye, or something like that, and his wife revised it. Oh, he was so good. And she's still working on his, uh, he has a charity for the illness that he had. And so wonderful, wonderful person. You know, I think we hit most of the most of the main cast. There's also people who are currently on shows, like you've got Gregory Jabara is on uh, Blue Bloods, and he's also on the show. Oh, Gregory, you know, yes, and yes. Uh, a state New York stage actor. Well, I avoid saying one because I'm going to leave off, you know, somebody else. And it's like, yeah, I'm sure I'm supposed to know these things, and my brain just says, oh. I left somebody out, and especially when it comes to the writing, our writers are so amazing that yeah. I mentioned one. You better mention them all because they're, you know, they're all top notch. And um, even our Foley, all the sound effects, Christopher Deal and Ethan Jones. Oh, see, see what I mean? I'm starting to do that. I'm going to list somebody out. So, what a difference a scene is without the right sounds, the right care that makes them come alive. You know, these guys are just brilliant. Sometimes I think I'm back in some of those old days where you're, the wagons are going and the, and the background sounds are, you know, they're all put in at the right time, at the right place. I want to, at the risk of leaving people out, and I apologize in advance, I'm going to go through a list of some of these people, past and present, who are industry powerhouses, who are either on the show a lot or were on occasionally. And I think we should start... He isn't so much a Hanna-Barbera voice, but he did some Disney and he did tons for Sid and Marty Croft. That was the late Walker Edmiston. Love Walker. You know, his personality was so good. And people would know him from H.R. Puffin stuff. And he was Sigmund on Sigmund and the Sea Monsters. And he was the nicely stack on Land of the Lost. He was actually in the costume. Uh, People in Southern California, he was a local children's host, uh, was very beloved in this area too but people like scott menville who was the second johnny quest and steve franken from dobie gillis and susan silo tony J, wally wingert chuck mccann Corey burton dick beals hey i gotta remember dick beals dick beals oh my goodness he was also the voice of the little elka seltzer guy speedy elka seltzer yes really speedy elka seltzer this is so funny because um i met him 
way back when. And this is before I think I was really active in the voice acting world. And he was, you know, he was a celebrity. Yeah, he was legendary. I was in a talent show. Get this. I was in a talent show as a young girl. And he was one of the judges in the show. Now, this is back. I don't even want to mention how many years, but he was a judge. And I remember, fortunately, I did well in the talent show. And I placed first with my partner. We were doing a comedy routine. And he said, you know, you ought to go into voices. You really should. I went, oh, no, 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 no. I want to be an actress. I had no idea what this brilliant professional was telling me. He goes, you really ought to do voices. Because I had did a lot of characters in my skit. And I thought, thank you for the advice, but I'm fine. Fast forward years, years, years later, I'm in the studio for Adventures in Odyssey. He comes in and I'm in my, I'm in my chair. Here's Dick Beals. Everybody's, oh, it's Dick Beals. It's Dick Beals. Cause he was just, you know, one of those people walked in. Legendary. I said, Mr. Beals, how are you? He goes, uh, I'm fine, you know. I said, can I tell you a little story? He goes, well, sure. And so <laughs> I told him. He was the one who told me to go into voice acting. And I said, I, it was because of you. And he walks right over to me and hugs me so hard. He goes, I'm never wrong. <laughs> <laughs> he was all about self-affirmation. Oh, he was. He wrote a book called Think Big, and he, he like, announced for the ball games for his college. He was yes. very active in the community. and Very charismatic. Very yeah. charismatic. Yeah. You know? And, you know, his career goes back to radio drama, too. Yes. Shows from the uh, the 50s and things like that. And he was... Uh, what was it? Davy... Uh, Davy and Goliath. Oh, Davy and Goliath. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Hello, Davy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he was Buzz on Frankenstein Jr. That's a classic, you know. Oh okay, gosh. Buzz. <laughs> Space Cadets. Uh, and he was in, uh, he was on the Flintstones. He played most of the little Cub Scouts that Fred was. Oh, there's just so many things he did. And, um, Greg, how do you remember this stuff? I tell you, you're just... What vitamins do you take? Whatever's uh, on Amazon cheap. <laughs> you know. Well, Kirkland, I can't I remember what I had for breakfast. And here you are quoting shows and names. And I'm going, oh, my goodness. Like, what is my name? Well, I love reading credits. Yeah. I just absolutely do. And then I'll go like, oh, my goodness. You know, um, we just lost Jimmy Weldon uh, oh. recently, who was Yaki Doodle yes. and also had a uh, show, Webster Webfoot. And he was also a self-help speaker yeah. about reaching your goals. And he was on Odyssey. And Howard Morris, who was also on The Andy Griffith Show. Jim Cummings, who does zillions and zillions of voices jim cummings and i have known each other for many 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 years no kidding we started in san diego together i have an agent very good friend nancy washburn she's still an agent still amazing and uh, jim and i were both with her at the time and you know we would read for things and do things back in the day and uh, we were talking once this is way back when i i said oh jim i only got one little line one little line you know, in this whole show, he goes, Chris, make that line so good. <laughs> make that line so good that they'll want you to do more. <laughs> I remember him telling me that. And so here comes my big line in the show. And it was something, you know, like, 
when I go there, I'll be right on time. And so I was so excited. I go, when I go there, I'll be right on time. And Jim goes, too much, too much. (laughs) And so when I see him, I go, hey, Jim, too much? Is this too much? (laughs) He's an amazing person, a big heart and big talents. I was so happy when they did the film, uh, the Christopher Robin film, that they had him do Pooh's voice. Oh, yes. Now, wait a minute. Wasn't Hal Smith Winnie the Pooh? He was Winnie the Pooh. Uh, he did Winnie the Pooh on, um, I think it was Pooh Corner, which also involved Will. He wrote lots of songs for it. and Yes, yes. That was the show on the Disney Channel with the puppets that were on the green screen. Oh. That would be wonderful to see again. And it was a lovely show. He also did Pooh on several of the read-alongs. He, Hal Smith was the read-along king for several years at Disneyland Records from about 1976 to into the 80s. He was usually, he and Bob Holt used to do a lot of the narrating and Linda Gary, who we lost way too early. She was uh, such a good voice. I mean, I could just go on and on and on about all these voice people and all these things, but I want to ask you about how you approach uh, when you're doing, and this is this isn't necessarily specifically Hanna Barbera, but it is about the craft and the technique. Barbie is like Mickey Mouse or Fred Flintstone or Bugs Bunny. Barbie is an iconic IP, as they call it now, and Barbie has been around since 1959. And Mattel is not going to treat her lightly. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, I want to ask you how the Barbie thing happened, and. You do Barbie for lots of things, for dolls, for toys, for video games. Your voice is in people's homes, in little kids' bedrooms, and on their computers and all. How did the Barbiness happen? And is there a lot of parameters for being Barbie? And also, how how do you get into who Barbie is? You know, literally, I was cast in 1994, so... At that time, Barbie existed for many years. Yeah. And they had projects that they would do. There was like a workout video and there was another teen Barbie or something, you know, other projects. But by the time they came to me, they were looking for a voice for her, something that would start this whole road of toys and like you said, computer games. And they wanted an established voice. So when you heard her voice, you'd say, that's her. Mm-hmm. So. I was working in um, a lot of toys at the time. This was kind of a, the season of toys for me. And and somebody that had uh, I had been working with said, you know, she'd make reference to when I was doing dolls. She could do that sound that you do for this doll, kind of like that Barbie thing. You know, you sound like a Barbie. And I went, yeah, there's no reference to it at all. So I just did this voice. And then there was this, she told me about this audition that Mattel was looking for um, a voice for a doll. Nobody said it was Barbie. It was just a doll. So it's so unique. I really think God had a plan for me to do this voice. I was not even aware of what I was auditioning for when it happened. It was during 1994. I was going to audition the next day. And there was an earthquake. 
there was a 1994 earthquake that um, happened up here in Northridge, California. Oh, the, yeah. A big, big one for us. Devastating one, yeah. Yes. And I, for some reason, thought to myself, well, I guess I'm not going to my audition tomorrow. <laughs> and I called. I says, look, I, I can't come to this audition. You know, we're, we're in an earthquake. And um, El Segundo was where Mattel was. So it was, it was like 45 minutes to an hour away. So they were not really experiencing the big drama of this earthquake. So the director says to me, he goes, well, so sorry. I hope things work out. You're good. Just, hey, we're under the gun. Could you just do a couple lines for this audition on the phone? And we'll know if you're right for this. And I went, sure, fine. And so I sat on my bedroom floor. And I had my phone in my hand and I went, uh, what would you like for me to say? <laughs> As the place is rocking a little bit. And he says, just say, um, hi, uh, I'm Barbie. Welcome to McDonald's. And I go, fine. Okay. I'll, I'll do that. And hi, it's me, Barbie. Barbie. <laughs> Welcome to McDonald's. You look cool. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like 10 seconds of. I think I just read for Barbie's voice in an earthquake. <laughs> and Jacques Delong, who was the director at the time, God bless him, he's he's not with us anymore, but he said nothing for two seconds. He said nothing. And I went, Oh well, thank oh no. you, Mr. Delong. I appreciate the opportunity. I, you know, I I said, Would you like for me to try it again? I'm a little nervous. He goes, No, 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 no. Is there any chance you could come down to Mattel tomorrow? I'd like for you to do this for a few people, you know, to record this line or two. I said, um, yeah, sure. <laughs> My husband, who's so sweet, says, don't worry about it. I know we have a baby and things are really not great, but you get in the car and you go down to the station. <laughs> Bless his heart. I thought, okay, well. I'm going to go to this audition, even though things are a little bit unstable. And um, California's crumbling. I had no running water <laughs> in my place. And I put on my baseball cap and I got in my car and I went down to Mattel. And I'll tell you, Greg, I walked into the lobby. This is in the 90s because the 90s, they remodeled the whole place. So it looks different. But in the lobby, there was this huge, gigantic Barbie standing in the lobby like an Oscar. She just stood in the corner and I looked at her and I went, oh, I guess I'm going to read for your voice. It's the amazing Colossal Barbie. It was. And I just kept thinking, I wish I could be dressed a little differently. But I, you know, I had to kind of like go with it because I couldn't even look pretty like Barbie to do this. <laughs> and I went back to the sound design studio. I sat in this chair and there was like seven people behind this glass recording booth sitting there with kind of suits and dressed up nice and I said uh, what would you like for me to do and they says could you just repeat what you did on the phone and I said sure and I read that line again hi I'm Barbie and I I thought in my mind when I played with Barbie I wanted Barbie to be sweet and like my best friend I wanted it to be warm. I thought about all the things I wanted my Barbie to be. Not the hipper, cooler Barbie. She was that best friend who would take you on adventures. And that's what I did. There's not a touch of irony in it. There's not a touch of 
airheadedness in it? No, I did not. And then they say you're hired and it was, you know, right there or did they? I, I really, I didn't know what I was doing in the sense that I didn't know what the future of this meant when I did that line again. And in, as if in slow motion, he reached for that little talk back button and said, hi, Barbie, come to work tomorrow. Come <sighs> to work tomorrow. He just said, and I went, what? I, from that point on, it was day after day, week after week, month after month of toy after toy. We did cell phones and talking registers and talking dentist Barbie and teacher Barbie. And it was so magical for me that I didn't stop working for so long. And I kept thinking, thank you, God, that you gave me the courage to come to this <laughs> audition, which my husband gets credit for too. And um, we just recorded all these computer games of her being secret agent and Barbie writing club and Barbie hairstyler. And just, it went on and on. And there was Barbie fashion designer, which this year they actually inducted it into the video game hall of fame because wow. this game was girls first real computer game. You could sit at the computer, design her clothes make her model them on the computer, and then you could print out the design you made and put it on your Barbie. It was groundbreaking. Wow. Yeah. And then they said, wow, they put this thing into the Hall of Fame this year. And I went, oh, I'm in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> well, not really. I mean, just my voice isn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but still, you know. Uh, it's so cool. Can you describe, I've heard this, I don't know if everybody has heard these, the rigors of doing a video game. Mm. It is quite a thing unto itself, correct? Yes. It's very repetitious too. You're just, it's like, you don't get to do, you know, you're doing lines. Sometimes nowadays you're sitting in a booth by yourself. You're not sitting around with other people interacting, you know, with other actor you're just you're this character is you make it come to life and you don't have anybody to do that with but it's exciting and it's fun and I tell you know sometimes I coach people coach kids and adults and I said most of the characters that I have done through the years video games and toys and animation is people that I've met people around my you know have been in my life on my journey of just living day to day you know you'll find voices that are kind of like, wow, I, I, I could do that voice. And you kind of log it into your brain and then you save it, you know, and you say, oh, okay, I'm going to use that for that. You'll have an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent or somebody that you can hear that has an unusual voice. Mm -hmm. You kind of remember that. And kids, listen to kids talk, sit on the floor and play with kids and listen to how they speak. They, 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 well, they, they never finish a sentence. So <laughs> <laughs> you could get a whole bunch of characters for your future voice work just by listening to people. Yeah. A lot of impressionists and voice people said that that's how they began, you know, imitating their teacher yeah. or a relative. And getting in trouble for it. Oh, always, <laughs> always. But yeah, yeah I, actually I had a boss we all used to do an imitation of, and she was a nice lady and all, but you didn't want to like do the voice in front of her. Well, there was a, one of those parties <laughs> after work and this guy brings me over in front of her and says, do her voice. <laughs> So I started doing oh, no it. And I'm way. like, well, you know, you got your C and your say, <laughs> and, you know, you bring it in and it sinks or you got your major crash and burn here. And she started coaching me on 
well, you know, you're not getting your vowels right because you got to do a little of this. That is funny <laughs> and true. And you just do it in front of her. Oh, my gosh. That's the worst thing. But it was not done in it. It was done with love. You know, with love. <laughs> you did. Yes, of course. And I'm sure she was flattered by it, too. I think she probably was. You know, just to say one thing about the whole Barbie thing for me. I did not mention to you that... During that time of doing her voice and all that stuff, mm-hmm. I was not allowed to tell anyone that I was doing her voice. She couldn't put it on a resume or anything. I could not tell anyone. That was the thing. Mattel wanted her to remain without a face. They wanted that steak of Barbie to be Barbie. So literally, I'm in the throes of doing toy after doll. After doll. Couldn't tell anybody I was doing her voice. And I thought to myself, well, I still to this day, I thought I broke the rule a little bit, just a little bit. I used to call little girls, like if they're really sick, Aww. if they're in a hospital or, you know, you'll be okay. Don't worry. And I would just, I'd make little phone calls as her. Or if kids came to my door, which happened <laughs> periodically, they'd say, could you do Barbie? I'd do Barbie for them, you know, and. My daughter, who was just a little girl at the time, she goes, Mom, what are you doing? You're doing Barbie? You can't do Barbie. I go, I'm doing Barbie for the kids. And it used to be, you know, when she was just really, really young, it was like, you're Barbie. Don't be Barbie. I want Barbie to be Barbie. Oh. Yeah. And then she got older and thought it was cool. And she said, Mom, do Barbie for my friends. <laughs> and then I was cool. So the advent of the movie, did that change the Barbie spotlight in any way? Because this is the movie of the year. Who would have thunk it? Well, I'll tell you, people ask me all the time what I think about the movie. And I really hesitate because it's like my take on it's going to be different from the average person who goes to a movie and watches it because of my history and my uh, there's inside jokes to the movie that I understand. And I, it's hard to say. And yes, it is totally revived my Barbie days because I literally there was many, many Barbies after me. I've done lots of stuff, but... Well, one of them was Jodie Benson from uh, Little Mermaid. Which was kind of strange. And it's like uh, we finally met. And um, I think what Jodie didn't realize was, I think she was thinking maybe that was the start. She did do a voice for um, for a project. I think it was the workout video or something. But that was not um, the beginning of her real established voice i mean there was like a couple random things and then i got to do all this new voice for all the stuff and then mm-hmm. when toy story came along i was told i was going to be in toy story and i went oh, what? and it turns out that they didn't know it was barbie <laughs> oh, a lot of times that happens yeah so they made reference to back when and so i think if i was meant to do it i would have done it and i have but my heart is so grateful for everything you have to believe that oh yeah you know, in in my heart, I I am not going to ever feel slighted. I got to do so many things. I am so grateful for all the work I've you know I've been that's come my way. So, if I'm meant to do something, I'm meant to do it. If not, I can trust that wasn't for me. You know, I do say a lot to people pursuing this line of work. I said, you know, if you spend your time just wanting what somebody else has or longing for that. And you're always, we compete, we compete for everything we do in this job. 
but we don't want to compare. Mm. If you compare, you're going to waste your time of wanting this, or I didn't get that. You just look at your own plate of food, so to speak, and you just eat and enjoy and appreciate what's on your plate. And you go from that point. Don't don't spend your time comparing and longing. Yeah. You move forward. Yeah. You move forward. And that's how I survived. And to be kind. When you go on those jobs, if you get, if you're just blessed enough to get a voice job, you you go and you're just happy and you feel grateful and you connect with people and you talk and you talk about their lives. Uh, it's not all about you. You find a way to make yourself one of those people that p- people want to be around. I think it's really important that we show uh, kindness and be authentic. So we've been a little philosophical in the in this installment of the fantastic world. Yes, we have. <laughs> and I have to say, you know, having listened to Adventures in Odyssey for years, you don't want Chris to not be Chris when you talk to her, and you are. And you also don't want Barbie to not be Barbie when you meet her. And what do they say? Uh, be careful meeting your heroes because sometimes they'll disappoint you. But you are you are everything that a Chris on Odyssey and a Barbie should be. Oh. It's not like the sassy episode of the Flintstones where after they did the happy, sweet scene, you know, they all changed into their true personalities, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Great. That is yeah. the highest compliment you could have given me. That means more to me than anything when you tell me that. Oh, thank you, Chris Anthony. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you liked our podcast, please click like or give us a nice review or subscribe or all of that stuff. But most of all, we hope you'll join us next time for the fantastic world of Hannah and Barbara. We hope you enjoyed the fantastic world of Hannah and Barbara with Greg Airbar. Please join us again and many thanks for listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah.